Oh, Holy Night. One of the most beloved Christmas songs, Christmas carols. Year after year after year, I hear people say, that's my favorite. I love it when we sing this. And oh, it's so beautiful for me. I love it, especially when I hear Bing sing it. You know, Bing, like LP vinyl Bing with the needle scratchy. Oh, yeah, that's good stuff. Oh, Holy Night, classic. And so for the next three weeks, what we're going to do is hopefully help you see this song like you've never seen it before so that you can see an angle of Christmas that you've never seen before. But let me give you the deets. Uh, that's details for those of you that are not in all the hip language. In southern France, southern France, 1843, two guys, one by the name of Placide Caput, that's how's my French, my Fringlish, that's French and English together, my Fringlish is pretty, Caput, and Adolphe Adam, or Adolphe Adam, um, this guy, Placide, he wrote the lyrics. He was a wine merchant and a poet. A little bit later, a guy named Adolphe or Adolphe Adam, classical composer, put music to this poetry. And then a few years after that, a guy by the name of John, that's better, right? That's easier for me anyway. John Dwight, who was a Unitarian minister, translated it from French into English, and now we have O Holy Night. You may not know but you need to know, because it's just downright interesting, that it is estimated that 250 children are born every minute in the world. That's the current going rate. 250 per minute. That is four per second, if you do the math. That's a lot of pushing. That's a lot of, here comes the boy, here comes the girl. That's a lot of, it's cigar passing, whatever. That's a lot of, lot of kids, right? And with each birth, you have so much potential, so much possibility. Think about that. Four every second. Four, eight, 16, 20, 24. Right there. I mean, just wow. So much potential, so much possibility with the birth of every child, specifically and immediately for that family. But depending upon the child, depending upon that, that boy or that girl that is born, the impact could be much broader than just one family, possibly a whole region, possibly a country. And in rare cases, you find a little boy or a little girl that grows up and their life impacts not just a family, not just a group of families or a region or a country, it impacts the entire world. But never, ever, never, ever has any birth for a second, 250 a minute, never has any birth impacted the world like the birth of Jesus. I, I'm talking about possibility and potential on a cosmic scale, on a, on a universal, eternal level. Because when Jesus was born, something shifted in the universe. When Jesus was born, there was a turning point in the narrative of history. It was a culmination of something completely New. And, and when you look at the lyrics, just in verse 1 alone of O Holy Night, you see this. Let's look at it together. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he, Jesus, appeared, and the soul felt its worth. 
a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks. I told you it was southern France, so these people were southerners. Yonder. <laughs> I just ruined that song, didn't I? For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. When I read these lyrics, it's so much. It is rich, so much. The, the word anticipation comes to mind. Anticipation, not just of an individual or a group of people, but literally of the entire cosmos, the entire world, the whole universe looking on anticipation because of the struggle of sin and suffering, the struggle and the tug of war of pain and the plight of people. And so when Jesus was born, that anticipation had a focal point. Another word comes to mind. Not just anticipation, but I think of the word awakening. Awakening. I, I read these lyrics. And the soul felt its worth. That's deep. That's rich. I'm not even sure if we fully comprehend what Placide Capu was meaning by the phrase, and the soul felt its worth. But I can imagine. Because without Jesus, our souls are void. And only through his love and in his love and by his love do our souls find true worth, true meaning that is there all along. They, they come awake, they come alive to new purpose and meaning and value. Yeah, awakening like never before for the human soul when Jesus was born. But all of that said, I want to focus on two words for the rest of our time here. That when you understand these two words and how they fit together, and, and I understand these two words, we begin to understand the Christmas story and the Christmas narrative and the meaning behind all of it and the why behind all of it more than ever. And the two words are hope and new. Hope and new. And I want to begin by focusing on the word new, and then we'll get to hope. This, this whole idea of new is an interesting concept. Most people get real excited when they hear the word new because often they think something's going to be better, right? New and improved, or it's new and better than ever. You're going to see that a lot in commercials, right? And you hear about it a lot in the media. This is new. This is new. We like new smells and new sights and new things. But you might be shocked. Not everybody responds to new with positivity. Often people respond to things that are new with some varied responses. I mean, there are those, I mean, there's three basic responses to things that are new. People accept it, they're skeptical of it, or they just outright reject it. Right? There are those that accept anything new. They're early adapters. Maybe that's your personality. Man, if it's new, it's for you. It doesn't matter what it is. You want, you want whatever the newest, the latest thing. If it's new, you're on it, man. You are there. Even if it doesn't pan out to be all that great, it was new, and that, that was exciting. You'll buy anything that's new. You're an early adapter. Then there's others of us, and I would fall into this category, would be a little skeptical. I'm not sure we need anything new. The old one's working just fine, and it's paid for. Right? 
I'm not sure we need something new. I mean, what, why? What, what's up with the new stuff? I mean, is it really going to do everything that they said? Come in. It can't be all. It can't be all that. It can't be what it's correct. I mean, oh, come on. That just that's just hype. It can't be. And then there are those that take it a step further, and they just they just reject new things. They don't like new things. They don't want new things. They just reject it. It's kind of like what happened in 2004. You remember what happened in 2004? Most of you were alive. If not all of you were alive, then most of us, yeah, yeah, I'd say say we're all pretty much there. Maybe a few exceptions here and there. 2004, something was introduced to our world that was entirely new. Not just an improved version of the old version. It was entirely new. And a guy by the name of Steve Jobs gave us the iPhone. The iPhone. The iPhone was not just a new, updated version of previous phones. It was an entirely new concept on phone. No one had seen anything quite like this before. It's called a smartphone. I mean, the smartest our phones had gotten to that point what, was what? Like the Blackberry? I mean, those things grow on bushes. How ancient is that? Right, you're like, what's that? I'm not quite sure. And, and, and so, so you get this iPhone. Now, immediately there were some, maybe some of you. I'm buying it. I'm paying $5,000 for it. Whatever, whatever they want, it's new. It's a smartphone. It does everything. It's going to change our world. And you're an early adapter. Now, there was a lot of us, like me, we were skeptical. Like, I'm not sure if I need a smartphone. My dumb phone works just fine. Right? Oh, no, you don't understand. It brings everything together, this iPhone. It's, it's not just a, an improved phone. It's a whole new thing, and it does things that no phone has ever done. It's a whole new concept on phone. There's a GPS in this phone. <laughs> I don't need GPS. There's one suction cup to the windshield of my car. I got one. Oh, you don't understand. You understand. There's a, you could take pictures with this phone like never. I, I don't need a phone that has a camera on it because I got a camera. And it's right here in this bag. It's in my fanny pack, right? And so I got the phone. I got the camera thing and the phone somewhere else. I flip it, slide it. I don't need the, all right. Oh, you don't understand. You, you, you. Oh, you can surf the web. You can surf the internet. I've got a computer. I don't need to do all that on my, right? You see, and then there were some people that were just like, ah, ah, no, it's a fad. It it ain't going to last. I reject it, right? I'm waiting for the corded phones to come back. (laughs) Some of you keep waiting. Not everybody responds to things that are new in the same way. Some people accept. Some people are skeptic. Some people reject. You may be surprised to know that the birth of Jesus was met with those same three categories. There were those, and it was a small number, a very small number, who accepted and celebrated his birth. In fact, in those first early days, you could probably name them all. Most of the world was skeptical. What, a Messiah now in our lifetime? What, in Bethlehem? Come on, what, a manger? What, Mary, Joseph? We know Joseph, I grew up with Mary. What, that's not... And then there were those, way too many, who outright rejected that it even could be possible. And here's why. Because Jesus' birth introduced something entirely new to the world. Completely and totally new. And some accepted and some were skeptic and others were rejected. But this should not have been a surprise. Because this new thing that was brought to the world by the birth of Jesus was predicted hundreds of years before it happened. It was predicted 
with precise clarity and it was predicted that it was going to be new, something new. Isaiah specifically was the prophet. And the prophets in the Old Testament spoke on behalf of God to the people of God. They didn't have Bibles like we do and no technology. And so the way God communicated back then is he would speak through prophets. And so the prophet Isaiah delivered this message for God to his people. For I'm about to do something new. I mean, that looks like, like tomorrow, right? I mean, you, when you read that, you're like, okay, like by 4.30, okay? I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? And so when they read this, I don't know what they thought because I wasn't there. I don't know how this hit them, but they had no idea. I can promise you this. They had no idea just how big this was going to be and how new this new thing that God is referring to was going to be. You see, up until that point, the way God related to mankind and the way mankind related to God, we've talked about this in previous series, but let me just give you a highlight. It was on a contractual basis. Basically, God had this arrangement with mankind. He said, if, if you do this, then I will do this. But if you don't do this, then I won't do this. If you will, I will. But if you don't, I won't. That, that's basically the relationship that God had with mankind. And it was governed by this thing that we've talked about many times called the law of Moses, the Mosaic law. 613 laws, to be exact. And, and in its, of itself, it was a vast improvement to anything the world had seen up until that point. No civilization, no system, no government system was advanced as the law of Moses, even back then. So it was a vast improvement, but still there was a problem with the law of Moses. <laughs> it was a problem by design. Nobody could keep it. Nobody could do it. Not completely, not totally. I mean, you get what, I mean, let's say you're 10, 10 laws in and you screw up number 11. I mean, yeah, that's, that's a tough one. And then let's say you have a good run and you get to 413 and 414 trips you up every stinking time. And I'm oversimplifying, but you get the point. It's just not possible. And that was by design. God was trying to teach his people something. That the system he gave them, while it was very good for what it did and what it was, and an improvement to anything the world had seen up to that point, had flaws built in it for a purpose. And the purpose was to show them they were going to need something new. Something different. And it all pointed ultimately to the birth of Jesus. You see, no one can keep the law of Moses. And that was kind of the purpose God wanted them to see. Wait a second, we can't do this well enough. We can't do it fully. And, and, and so we need someone to save us from this system. We need someone to save us from ourselves. We need a savior. We don't just need an improved version of the Old Testament law. We don't need just a you know, Mosaic law 2.0. We need something entirely new enter the birth of Jesus into history. Which, by the way, all the Old Testament points to, all the prophets point to, and all the Mosaic law was just a backstory to set us up to get to know Jesus. And so one day when a guy named Joseph was overwhelmed having a hard time going to sleep because he's thinking about Mary and Mary's having a baby and I know I hate the dad and boy, people are talking and it's just going to be bad for her and bad for our families and maybe we should just split. Maybe we should just kind of 
do away with this thing and go our separate ways and keep it on the down low and keep it quiet out of respect to Mary and her family. He falls asleep and God comes to him in his dream through an angel. Tells him this. Mary's going to have a son, Joseph. And you're going to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Wait a second, wait a second. Come again? Save his people from their sins? This is not just a normal birth announcement. This is not just, it's a boy, it's a girl, hear the cigars, right? I'm not sure what Jewish people passed out, but you know. This is different. He will save his people from their sins? Yeah. Then the angel goes on. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. What prophet? Happens to be the same prophet, Isaiah, we were talking about just a few moments ago. When Isaiah said this, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. Talking about Mary. Talking about Jesus. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. See, see, Jesus' birth introduced something entirely and completely new to the world. Now, God is not just way out there somewhere. And if you go to the tabernacle or if you spend time in the temple, maybe you can get close enough. No, 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 no. This is not, this is not just an improved version of that. This is something entirely different, something entirely new. Now, God is with. Us. And you can look at him and you can point to him and his name is Jesus and he's walking down the street and he's healing people and he's teaching and he's going to love people and he's going to give his life for the world. Now God is with us, feeling what we feel, seeing what we see, living what we live. Now God is no longer far away, distant, somewhere out there. Now God is with us and the birth of Jesus introduced that new concept to the world. Entirely new. Jesus shows us who God is. Jesus shows us what God is like. Jesus helps us know the way of God and how we can get close to God. And it's not by just trying harder to keep the old system, the Mosaic law. No, no, no. This is a whole different system. That system got us to this point. Now it's done. Now it's over. Now there's a relationship basis of relating to God, not a contractual relationship to God. No longer is it, I will if you will, but if you don't, I won't. Now it's Jesus saying, I am God in flesh and bone, and I have come to save you. Just trust me. Just trust me. I got you. Come to me. I got you. Come to me. I'm here for you. See, that was entirely new. Completely turned the world upside down as they understood who God was and what God was about. Now, if you're sitting there going, well, that's interesting, but I don't know what it's got to do with me. Just hang with me. Jesus' birth didn't just introduce something entirely new to the world. It's more specific than that. Jesus' birth introduced something entirely new for people in the world. New in me, new in you, new in us. So it wasn't just on a cosmic, universal level, it was on a personal level as well. A few decades after Jesus was born, 
A guy by the name of Paul is writing a letter to a group of Jesus followers in Corinth. And he hints and unpacks and gives a nod to what this new thing looks like on the inside of us that Jesus came to set into motion. Something entirely new. And Paul says this, if anyone's in Christ, if anyone's connected to Jesus, if anyone's connected to him, the new creation has come. What's he talking about? He's talking about physical world? No, no, no. He's talking about something on the inside of us. The old is gone. The new is here. This is what people who are connected to Jesus will experience. Something called the new creation. Something that can be described as the old way, the old reality is fading away and something new inside of us begins to happen. What Jesus is bringing is entirely new, not just around the world, but in us. In fact, Jesus one day was talking to a Pharisee named Nicodemus, and John recorded their conversation. And in John chapter 3, Jesus described it like this. Nicodemus, it's going to be as if you are going to experience a new birth. You're going to be born again. That's how new, right? Doesn't get much new, newer than a birth, right? Here's a new person. And Jesus said, inside of you, it's going to be like you were born again. This new thing that I'm going to do, this is the new creation. It's a new reality. It means that people, because of Jesus, now live a whole new way. There's a new way of thinking. There's a new way of seeing the world. There's a new way of processing pain in the world. There's a new way of processing joy in the world. There's a new way of understanding both good and bad. There's a new way of making decisions. There's a new way of living life on a daily basis. It's all new. The old is gone. The new is here. It's a part of the new creation. And I know that's a concept. I get it. But nothing could be more real for those that are connected to Jesus. Okay, well, what's that got to do with me? Well, see, there's a second word. There's a second word that I want us to focus on. It's not just the new, but it's hope. It's the thrill of hope. Hope, because when you have something new, what it does is inside this word new is the whole concept of hope, because that's what new things bring. I hope this new thing works better than the old thing. I hope this new thing brings a better experience than the old one. It's so much, and see, when you look at something that's new, you automatically start feeling hopeful. This is gonna be better. This is gonna be good. Hope is birthed out of the new. So Jesus' birth, this didn't just introduce something entirely new to the world. Jesus' birth introduced true hope. For people, for me, for you, let me ask you a question. Do you need hope? Yes, you need hope. In fact, I don't know of a time in our world where people need hope more. In fact, I don't know of a time in spite of all of our advances, in, in spite of all of our uh, technology, in spite of all of the science and all of the things we know and we learn and we develop. I, I don't know of a time where people feel more hopeless because none of those things bring hope. Jesus' birth and the presence of Jesus, now understanding that God is with us, that's entirely new. And that has within it the seeds of hope at a level we've never known it before. See, we're talking about what Christmas is really about, y'all. New and hope. 
Hang with me just for a couple more minutes. Let me, let me talk about false hope. It's a phrase you hear people use, false hope. False hope is misplaced hope. False pl- is a misplaced hope when you place your hope in a certain something. A certain something. Very important words. When we get our hopes on a specific outcome, that it's got to be a certain way, in a certain time, in a certain place, and it's got to look a certain way and smell a certain way and sound a certain way. That's hope that is misplaced. You know why? Because if you haven't figured this out, we can't control outcomes. We can't control outcomes. Like, here's an example. Let's say you're looking for a job and you need a job and you've got your hope on that job. You know, that job, that job you've applied for that you have convinced yourself is the perfect job. It's the perfect money, the perfect time, the perfect hours, the perfect skill. It was made for you. You've got your hope in that job. And you put all your hope in that certain outcome, that certain something. But here's the problem with that. You may not get that job. And if you don't get that perfect job for you, what happens to your hope? It's dashed, isn't it? It falls. Then someone would say, oh, well, that was false hope. Or hope that was falsely misplaced on something that you could not guarantee. Hang with me. That's false hope. True hope is when you put your hope not in a certain something, but in the God who can do anything. So you're not putting your hope in a something, you're putting your hope in a someone. And when you put your hope in someone who can do anything, then anything is possible. So instead of looking at that job and going, my hope is in that job, my hope is in that job, that's the job, that's the job, that's the one. Now, see, that could be false, that could be misplaced, you may not get that job. Elevate your hope, not to that some certain thing, but to someone who transcends all things, and it looks like this. My hope is in God. He may give me that job, but he may not. And if he doesn't, he's going to give me another job, because my hope is not in that job, because jobs will come and jobs will go. And I may or may not get that job. I'd like to have that job. I think that job would be good for me. But if I don't get that job, my hope happens to be in the one who controls all jobs, who can get me any job, who can provide for me in ways that that job never could. Do you see the difference between a false hope and a true hope? And that comes through Jesus. That comes from knowing him, being connected to him, understanding that I don't have to put my hope in a certain something. And for centuries, for centuries, that's what God's people had done. And that's why so many of them missed it. They thought the Messiah was going to come in a certain way, in a certain thing, at a certain time, in a certain place. And even though he kind of told them along the way how it was going to go, it was going to be new, it was going to be different, they missed it. They missed it. Because see, true hope is not putting your faith in an outcome. True hope is putting your faith in the one who transcends all outcomes. Transcends all outcomes. And he can do anything in any time and in any place. And he does it in unexpected times and in unexpected places and in unexpected ways. And he uses unexpected people to do it. Now, we're going to come back to you in just a minute. We'll come back to how this impacts you in just a minute. But that's what the Christmas story proved. Unexpected. Bethlehem? No, 
No, not Bethlehem. That's the city of David. Now, Micah the prophet predicted that that would happen. But they still missed it. No one saw that. No one saw it. And Mary? Come on, Mary. I went to high school with Mary. It's Mary. Jo- Joseph? Joseph? Oh, no. He, he, I mean, he's, don't get me wrong. He's a great carpenter, but, you know, the, <laughs> no, not. Right? And a manger? What? Did you hear that? Did you hear the, the manger? Manger. Now, kings don't come into the world in mangers. They, they just, they, shepherds, they were the welcoming band. They were the welcoming committee. No U2, no nothing, no Coldplay, nothing. I mean, no, no, no big lies. I mean, just, just the shepherds? No, that's, no, that's, uh-uh. Unexpected ways, unexpected places, unexpected times, unexpected people. What's that got to do with me? Here it is. New and hope. Because Jesus came to introduce something entirely new to the world, and because that new brings us true hope, hope not focused on a certain thing, a certain thing, it's got to be a certain way, but hope elevated to the one who transcends all things, who with anything is possible, anything can happen with him, then that means you have hope. Because God is always, 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 always doing something new. You're a part of the new creation. It is at work within you. And so let me just bring this home to your life with a question. I want you to think about your life. Where do you need hope? Where do you need something new from God? Because see, that's, that's the real message of Christmas, right? That God's doing something new now. And it's, it's about Jesus. And, and Jesus does something new in us. In fact, when we're connected to him, the old is gone, the new is here, we're a part of experiencing this new creation. And I know that's a concept, but when you start realizing it's a new way of thinking, now I have a new way of understanding the world. I don't understand everything. But what I am understanding is totally new from what I used to understand. And a new way of, of relating to people. Now it's not just... You know, I'm going to give you what you gave me. Now there's this thing called love and and I'm experiencing grace and mercy and forgiveness and kindness. And what's this thing inside of me? It's the new creation. No, I can't control the future, but I have my hope in the one who is in control of everything. And I don't always understand what happens and I don't always agree with what I see. But my hope is in him, not a certain thing, not in a certain something, but a certain someone who transcends all things. That elevates your perspective. That motivates you. That, that gives you energy. So I, I, don't know, I don't know where you need hope. Maybe the better question is, where do you feel hopeless? Because wherever that is, God could do something new in that. God could do something new in that. And that's why you should have hope. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your marriage. You're like, man, I I feel hopeless in my marriage. Do you know that God can do a new thing in your marriage? He can. He does all the time for people just like you. Maybe it's a thing in your family, something with your parents, something with your children, something with a sibling. I, I need God to do something new here. I don't just need an improved version of what we've always done or the way it's always been. I need something new because I feel hopeless. You should have hope. You can't have hope. Christmas reminds us that we have hope because he's always doing something new. 
Maybe it is a job thing. I don't know. Maybe it's a mental, emotional thing. And you need God to do something new in your mind. You know, that's actually one of the things he said he would come to do. And that's renew our minds. Renew our minds. Renew our thinking. He can do it. He can do anything. You put your hope in the one who can make anything happen. And he just might Maybe you just feel lost. Maybe you feel weary. Maybe you feel confused. And you just, God, I need you to do something new in my life. I need you to do something new in my life. Well, Jesus came to do something new in your life. And that doesn't mean all your problems are going to go away. Problems come. Problems go. For everybody. But connected to him, in the middle of all your problems, he begins to birth something new inside of you. And it's one of those things you just have to experience it to understand it. You just have to experience it to, to get an eye on it, to be able to feel it, to be able to get a concept of what this means in your life. I don't know where you need hope, but wherever it is you need hope, that's where God can do something new. And it might be that God brings a new attitude or a new perspective or a new mindset, or maybe God gives you a new opportunity you didn't have before or brings a new change in your life, or get this, do you need a new start? Maybe some of you just need a new start. You just need a whole new start. You need to hit reset. Well, God does this thing called forgive, and he's created this thing called forgiveness, and it just specializes in creating new starts for people. And every day, get this, this will blow your mind right here. This, every sunrise, Written into the fabric of every sunrise is the promise and the hope of a new day. A new day. You get seven of them every single week. See, God's just full of new. He's full of new. And as we embrace Jesus, we discover the new creation inside of us. And I wish I could describe it more succinctly than that, but I'll just come back. Anything is possible. And that, that's what Christmas, as you celebrate Christmas, no, new and hope, new and hope, new and hope. And as you hear the songs and hear O Holy Night, new and hope. God, through Jesus, came to do something new in me, and that means I have hope. And discover what that means. Let's pray. Father, we... Join with the world in anticipation of the new thing you want to do in us through Jesus. May our souls be awakened to the new and be filled with hope that anything is possible with you. I don't know what people are facing, where they feel hopeless, but in those areas where they feel hopeless, that's where we need you to do something new for the new creation to go to work and make us alive, to, to bring about a new birth of new ideas and new reality and new thinking and new living. And that brings hope. It means it's never too late. It means it's never over. It means nothing's ever too far gone because you're a God of the new. And Jesus' birth reminds us that's what it's all about. And it's because of him. So I, I don't know where people need something new, where they need hope. 
Father, may you meet them in that place. And as they celebrate Christmas in the next few weeks, may they be overwhelmed with the new thing and the hope that comes from you. In Jesus' name, amen.